Notice, don't stretch out your hand against the Lord's anointed because God had put Saul there. He allowed him to be there. And so that was God. Remember Romans 13? The powers that be are ordered by God. God puts whom he will in power. And he did that with Saul. And, and David's like, I'm not going to touch this man. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It wasn't that David thought Saul was right. David knew more than anyone that Saul was deeply in sin. But David knew that even a sinning Saul was still the anointed king over Israel. That would only change when God changed it. David would not stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed, nor would he let his trusted assistant Abishai do so either. God tells us in Romans chapter 12 verse 9, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If vengeance belongs to God, it doesn't belong to us. So we are to love our enemies and never repay evil for evil. Now here's Pastor Rob. And, and even David in his folly, God allowed him. He, he, he spared him even in his less sane moments. Have you been there? Have you had less sane moments? I have them. We all have them. Moments where we're not really resting. We're more like reacting to fear. Can I, can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah, that's right. So Saul, verse 2, he rose and he went down to the wilderness of Ziph. Again, this area right to the west of the Dead Sea, right uh, directly to the west of En Gedi, really, in that area where David had been. And Ziph is about three miles southeast of Hebron. And, and so it says in verse 3, David uh, and Saul encamped in the hill, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road, but David stayed in the wilderness. And he came and he saw where uh, Saul had, um, and, he, and he saw that Saul came after him, excuse me, into the wilderness. And David therefore sent out spies. And then in verse 5, David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And what guts does that take? <laughs> you know, all the promises that were wrapped up in David's life. And here David, as we will see here in just a moment, he and Abishai, his nephew, they decide to go when everybody's sleeping. I mean, can you imagine as they're walking along at night and one little twig, and then, you know, the guy, all the men of army gets up and then they got to run for their life. And those guys were pretty accurate with spears and everything. They better get out of Dodge pretty quick. But everything was on the line, and yet they did this thing. I don't even know if this was the Lord that David did this. He didn't need to do it. I think David did it just to prove to Saul, Saul, I'm not against you. Why are you coming against me? Remember this? We did this back in En Gedi. I don't want to kill you. Whatever rumors you're hearing are false. It's fake news. I'm not trying to harm you. 
If I wanted to harm you, I would have, I would have pinned you right to the floor. But I didn't. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. That's another thing I love about David. He knew the office. He respected the office, regardless of the man's personality, regardless of the man's everything that was about him. He's like, if the Lord put you there, God forbid that I'm going to be the one who takes you out of that place. And so so they come and they see Saul laying there with Abner, who was the commander of his army, and Saul lay in the middle, and everyone, as is typical, would be around him for protection. And so David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai, I love this, this young nephew of his, he doesn't even, he doesn't even stop to consider it. He just says, I'll go. <laughs> I'm going to go down with you, David. I love you. You're my blood, and I'm going to go with you. And Zeruiah, many times when you read this name in the Bible, is actually David's half-sister. When you read Zeruiah, it sounds like a man. But whenever you read Zeruiah in context of this, it's David's half-sister. Jesse had sons and daughters, and Jesse certainly was the father of Zeruiah and David and all of his brothers, but Zeruiah was from a different mother but from the same father, Jesse. And so it was really his half-sister. So the half-sister had sons. Abishai and Joab was part of that too. And so these are all family, blood. And so Abishai is a nephew, his young nephew, saying, I'll go with you, I'll go with you. So David and Abishai, they go to them by night, taking this great risk, and there lay Saul sleeping with his spear stuck in the ground by his head and the, and the people laying all around and Abner there. Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. And how many times has David by now heard this same phrase? God has got your enemy right here, David. Now, therefore, let me strike him at once with his spear right to the earth. I mean, it reminds me of, what is it, uh, J.L. in the book of uh, Judges. <laughs> she took that tent peg and it's such a graphic scene. Just because it's so fun to talk about, I almost want to share it, but I won't. Let's go on. He says, uh, God has delivered your enemy. He says, uh, let me take the spear at once. I'll pin him right to the earth, and I won't have to do it a second time, David. I'm going to do it once, and we're going to flee like gazelles out of here. And again, just like in chapter 24, David has this opportunity to take matters in his own hands. I believe that was a, this was another great test for David, and he passed the test again. He passed the test. Any other man would have done it. This is an easy way for me to ascend to the throne, and any, most men, they, they crave power or desire to be in some kind of authority position, but David wasn't like that, and that's why God could choose him. See, that's the difference. David really didn't care. His, his relationship with God and just being who he was was good enough. Anything else was just icing on the cake. And that's why God could use a man like that, because it wasn't a goal, it wasn't an idol to him. Power and prestige and everything that goes with it wasn't something that David uh, held close to his heart. He's like, I could take it or leave it. But the devil wanted nothing more than to get David to respond in fear and anguish. And take matters into his own hands here. And here's the thing. Even his young nephew was willing to do his dirty work for him. There are always going to be those who are associated with us that are willing to do what our consciences are not willing to do. And it behooves us then, right, 
those of us who are following the Lord to restrain and refrain others from doing foolish and sinful things in our presence. Don't even let them do it. You know, I mean, Abishai, he could have done it, and, and, and David would have been king, but there'd be suspicion. David, did you allow him to do it? How, how could you do that? And certainly God would not be pleased with that. But David was able to restrain his young nephew so that David himself wouldn't be complicit, complicit in that sin. So David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed? Underline that word anointed because it's the word in Hebrew, Messiah. Yes, Messiah. Whenever you see anointed, and much of the time, especially in this context, it literally means Messiah or Mashiach. It's a consecrated person. Notice, don't stretch out your hand against the Lord's anointed because God had put Saul there. He allowed him to be there. And so that was God. Remember Romans 13? The powers that be are ordered by God. God puts whom he will in power. And he did that with Saul. And and David's like, I'm not going to touch this man. Because he respected again. I think in his heart he loved Saul. Even though he was trying to kill him, David had a deep love. And you can see it in the way he responds to him. We'll see it in this chapter. The way he responds to Saul is so tender. In spite of, you know, the venom that he got from Saul. And he, and he, and he loved and he, and he respected that position. And again, another reason why God could entrust the throne to him. So the anointed, it means Messiah. The Lord called Cyrus, remember the Persian king, who um, overthrew the Babylonian government in the Babylonian kingdom? Cyrus, remember? What does Isaiah tell us in Isaiah 45, in the very first verse? It says, thus says the Lord, thus says Jehovah to his anointed. There's the same word again, Messiah, Mashiach, to Cyrus. Thus says, my, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations and loosen the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not shut. So God even calls a, a Gentile king this consecrated one to do his will because it was through Cyrus that God would allow his children to come back from their captivity and go and rebuild the temple after their 70-year captivity in Babylon and to rebuild the walls and the gates. But of course, in the larger picture, we know that the Messiah is none other than Jesus Christ. The, he fits the bill in every possible way. So verse 10, it says, David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall not strike him, or, or, or I'm sorry, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go to, out to battle and perish. Notice these three things. The Lord's either going to strike him, and this is true for any man, The Lord is either going to do it, or his day shall come just through natural causes to die, or he's going to lose his life on the battlefield. And so David understood that. It's going to happen one of those ways, but it's not going to come from my hand. And what a wonderful man. Again, amidst all the flaws that we know are in David, because we've read the Bible, and we know the, the, the event with him and Bathsheba, even with all those mistakes, God said, that's my man. Because David, wasn't, he wasn't a perfect man, but when he sinned, he broke like an egg and he repented. See, there's a difference. Saul never repented. 
He just continued one bad decision after another. And therein lies the, the difference of a man or woman of God. Because a man or woman of God, even though they're not perfect and they fall into sin, they, they, they repent of that sin. They ask God to forgive them, and he does. And then David was changed forevermore, and he never did that again. That's the difference. A repentant Christian versus a man who had the outward appearance of being religious but was not devoted to God and continued to propagate in his sin. And there is the, therein lies the difference. And unlike Saul, David was a man of faith and integrity. Although he had the opportunity, he respected God's will and God's way and the office. Are you the type of person who likes to get even more than to let God do his work in his time? Do the ends justify the means with you? That's a question we have to ask ourselves and be honest with the answer. And sometimes we don't always know what the answer is because until we're in a certain circumstance, we don't even know our own hearts. Does anyone here know their heart, how you would respond in every situation? I like to talk a big game. You know, if, if, if this happens, and Lord, I know I'll do this. You know what? When the time comes, and this happens to people, when things finally really happen, things change in an instant. You find out whether you kind of person you're at. That's why men go through the police academy, you know. They go through the police academy. They go on those hard domestic violence calls. They go on those shootings, and you find out really what you're made of and whether you're really called to this job. I believe police officers, I believe that job is a calling. It's not for everybody. You've got to be called by God. And if you're not, it's okay to be the dispatcher. It's okay to be the guy doing the paperwork. It's okay to be the guy behind the computer or wiretapping cars and sitting back in the little, you know, in the big uh, the vans and listening to all those stuff, you know. But to be out there in the thick of it. Pray for our law enforcement. They are in the battle of their life right now in this country. Verse 11, it says, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I love this heart of David. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David, as you know, we just read it, he took the spear and the jug, and that's Saul's weapon. That's a big deal. And he takes his cruise of water, which somebody was supposed to carry that around for him. This was somebody else's responsibility. And now David and Abishai, they take these things, very precious to the king, symbolically and, and even practically. And they go, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. And David went over to the other side, and, and I hope you get to go to Israel. If you uh, start planning now, next March we're hoping to go to Israel again. It's, it's on the schedule, and everything is a go at this point. But when you go to the land and you see where these things are, you can picture in your mind exactly. As I'm reading this, I'm picturing the battle in the, the, the contour of the land, and, and to see where these things took place. And it's, it's really wonderful. And he, and he takes the, these things, he, he goes over the ravine, and then goes onto a side far on the other side, a great distance being between them. And David called out to Abner. Notice, he didn't call out to, to Saul initially. He gets on the case of the commander who, who wasn't doing his job. And I think in David's heart, his, his heart has just eaten him up. He's like, you know what? My problem with Saul is one thing, but you, buddy, you should have been doing your job because if I was still commander of the army, you should have been doing your job. And that wasn't to be sleeping with your little binky in your mouth, with your, you know, your snuggles stuffed little bear, with your blinky, Linus, you know. 
You weren't supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be watching the king. And David called out to the people. And he says, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you calling out to the king? I can imagine probably in his, his morning, like, oh, what, are you, what are you talking about? You know, just coming out of his slumber. Are you not a man, and who is like you in all of Israel? You're, you're the commander of the army of the Lord. Why then have you not guarded the Lord your king? For the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. And this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. David had a, a wonderful sense of justice. And uh, this is a big deal. That really was his job. He should not have allowed anybody to get anywhere near. He should have had men on guard. Even doing shifts, you know, having at least a couple of guys around and having shifts every four hours, every two hours, whatever it was, that should have been his job, and he failed to do it. And he says, and now see where your king's spear is in the jug of water. And I can see him on the opposite side of the hill holding up the spear in the jug of water, doing this, and the water sloshing out of it. Notice where they're at now, Abner. (laughs) He gets on Abner's case. And those who are to oversee kings and prisoners were greatly responsible for their security. You remember in Matthew, this is not an uncommon thing. In Matthew 28, remember, after Jesus was resurrected, it says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. Because that, that really wasn't the truth. They, they, they paid them off to tell a lie, and then it gets even better. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Why was that? Because they deserved death. Every one of those soldiers who were, was blinded by the angel that came down and rolled away the stone, not to let Jesus out, but so that they could go in and see that he was not there. He had risen through the rock. In his new body, his old body was not there anymore. It was transformed like that. And they were blinded, and they were stupefied by the vision. But they were told to lie, and they were responsible to keep that secure because they, uh, they secured it with wax seal and all kinds of ropes and things of that nature. And anybody touching any of that would be put to death. And anyone who was not watching... Who took away those stone took away that stone would be put to death. So they were worthy of death. So this was not an uncommon thing in Israel. And this was an incredible rebuke from David to Abner, David being a, a commander of Saul's army at one time, and now pointing the finger at Abner. Because you see, David, as a great shepherd as well as a great man of war, he could not tolerate this kind of carelessness on the behalf of Abner, and he truly failed, Abner did. And so then Saul, when, when he knew David's voice, he said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. Notice the respect and the reverence David had for Saul. He rebuked Abner, but he was reverent to the king. Very important. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, and what evil is in my hand? 
Now, therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept an offering. And if it's by the children of men, may they be accursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the lord, saying, go serve other gods. The, the idea here, it, this is kind of a difficult saying, but it, it, it seems to infer that David had, if David had done anything wrong, he was willing to offer a sacrifice for forgiveness. But, of course, David didn't do anything wrong. Because what was wrong was Saul's heart toward David. That was what was wrong. He said, if I need to make a sacrifice, I'll just do that. But if it's the people that, you're, that are talking to you, that are telling you all this fake news about me, then let them be cursed. Because you know what they're doing? By doing what they're doing, they're driving me from my inheritance and my own land of Judah. And by doing so, I'm not even able to serve my God the way I want to. I've got to be in a land of foreign idols. That's what they're doing. So now, verse 20, Do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out against a flea. Again, David's like, why are you coming after me? I'm nobody. Of course, David, what really wasn't a nobody? <laughs> but David saw himself, and that's the big deal. David was on the rise. Saul had been in decline for some time, but now David is on the rise. God is going to use him, even in his foolishness, as we'll see if we get to chapter 27 tonight, and I doubt it. Um, so he says, Do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for you've come out against a flea, as when a man hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I've sinned. I've sinned. You can, you can hear it in his voice. And isn't, isn't this just like the, second, it's like the second or third time Saul has cried the crocodile tears? Were they tears of repentance? Was this worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? Worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow doesn't change the heart. Godly sorrow is repentance. Because when there's godly sorrow, it's, about, it's very personal between you and God. There's something that happens but a worldly sorrow is just, I got caught, and I'm going to continue to do it. That's the attitude. I got caught, and I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm not sorry that I did what I did. Have you met people like that? I've met people like that. They're not really repentant. They're just sad that they got busted. I'm sorry I got busted, but given the opportunity, I'm doing it again. You know, that's the That's the attitude. And so Saul puts on this thing. Oh, David, I'm so sorry. I played the fool. Forgive me. God help me. And, you know, and the tears are coming down. And, you know, the violin is playing. And, you know, the people in the robes are all coming around and laying hands on him. You poor guy. Receive the Lord. Come to Jesus. <laughs> and, and yet there's no, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. We've seen this before. So Saul said, I've sinned, return my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool, and I've erred exceedingly. Now, I believe this is probably one of the times where, day, where Saul had his lucid moment where the spirit of, of the devil or a demon wasn't controlling him. Because he has these moments, where the, these lucid moments, where I believe the real Saul is coming out. The real Saul is being repentant, and he really... I really think he had part of him that was like that, but he was a double-minded man. That means double-spirited. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.